the AWS for Software Companies podcast, Episode 7, Data-Driven Enterprise, Vision to Value, with Tom Godden, Enterprise Strategist with Amazon Web Services. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the AWS for Software Companies podcast, where we hear from software executives around the world about their journeys to the cloud, overcoming obstacles, and the role that Amazon Web Services play in their success. Today, we've got an absolutely captivating session from Tom Godden, enterprise strategist with AWS and executive advisor on building data strategies and leveraging that data to drive businesses to even greater heights. As a member of the AWS Enterprise Strategy Team, Tom relies on his experience as both a CIO and CTO to consult with other executives on how they can drive higher value from their own migrations to the cloud. Hello, everyone. My name is Tom Godden. I am an enterprise strategist with AWS. The enterprise strategy team is a team of 12 former chief information officers and chief technology officers. Some of my colleagues were technology executives at Coca-Cola, McDonald's, Capital One, Airbus. I was the chief information officer at Foundation Medicine. Foundation Medicine is the world's largest cancer genomics company. And I led Foundation Medicine to go from 100% on-premises all into AWS to leverage data in artificial intelligence and machine learning to help diagnose cancer patients. To go from a waterfall methodology to an agile product-based methodology and to do that for FDA class three regulated devices. That's the most love and attention you can get from the FDA. It's a lot of love and attention from the FDA. We spend time having conversations with customers where we share not only our learnings in my experience and my colleagues experience, but we as a team talk to almost 2000 customers per year. And as we talk to those 2000 customers per year, we learn a lot of various different things that they do to help them go from vision to value with data. What works? What are people doing that works well? And so what we wanna do here today is I wanna share some of those learnings. What is that view that we have that differentiates those that try to use data to those that are truly driving value out of that data? So let's get started. Growing up, your parents probably warned you about this, right? The white van down by the playground, someone offering you free candy. Don't do that. Fast forward 20 years, get in a stranger's van. They'll take you places. They might even offer you free candy. Total transformation, right? You know, we could never have imagined where this would go. And you can see the impact that this is having. This is the value of New York City taxicab medallions. Also, you can see the amount of ride hail or ride sharing apps in the precipitous growth that are occurring across those. The taxi values are plummeting as a result of this. And I like this quote from Jeff. It's a great quote. Today's era of volatility, there's nothing to do but to reinvent. The only sustainable advantage you can have is agility. The only thing that you can do that's sustainable is to be first. Nothing else is sustainable, can, can be replicated. Sure, patent protections, I get all of that. But generally speaking, speed and agility is the only differentiator. And what we're talking about to get to that is digitally transforming. 
Now, digital transformation is a lot of different things. You might be thinking, didn't we do digital some 40 years ago? I mean, we all had our pocket calculators. Surely that was digital. Digital transformation, you see, is much bigger than that. You know, digital transformation is not a technology. It's about a way of thinking and operating within an industry using that new technology. And some of those new elements of that new technology that we're talking about, you know, a deeply shared purpose. Everyone within your organization working towards one end. Autonomous, cross-functional teams, democratized experimentation, being data-driven having that learning culture and using those advanced technologies. I want to double click on the data-driven part and talk about what it means to become a data-driven enterprise and what some of those best practices and skills are. One of the things that we see occurring is companies transitioning and moving from playing defense with their data to playing offense. Now, what do I mean? When we play defense with our data, we're using the data primarily operationally. You might have been using it to mitigate risks in order to ensure compliance. You're using it to run your company. Good, keep doing that. Those, those requirements are not going away. But the new companies are beginning to use it to play offense. They're beginning to use it to be able to create new saleable products to drive new insights to really do that. And it's a mindset shift to go from defense to offense in how you approach these things. So why does it matter? Why make this transition? You know, briefly, as you look at this, you know, we'll work with Georgia Pacific on how they can make decisions, you know, faster using data in their manufacturing plants. We've all heard of Moderna with the COVID vaccines. Being able to respond to the unexpected that has occurred. Formula One's a great case study. Enjoy all of this for those of you who are Formula One fans. Being able to use data to redefine the customer experience. Um, Formula One and AWS are doing some phenomenal things to capture millions of um, data segments every second and to be able to play those back to the end user. Disney's using it to be able to uncover new possibilities and new opportunities in how they go to market with their Disney Plus. And then lastly, Amazon. We use it every day to optimize and improve the efficiencies of our warehouses and the materials that we use to ship our products to constantly be doing this. And as we look at this, you know, that data-driven enterprise is up there on that top right. You know, organizations holistically started down on the bottom gathering the data. And then we wanted to start to get a little bit of insights out of that data. And then we wanted to use those insights to start to drive actions. But what's most important is drive outcomes. You know, everything else is just interesting. The outcomes is ultimately what matters. And, you know, we see this. How do you go about then and realize, you know, a data-driven enterprise? Well, you've probably heard of some of these. My favorite one, proclaim that data is the new oil. Thank you, CIO Magazine. They're not wrong. It has that new asset and that value. It's unique in the fact that, you know, it's not finite. Oil is, as we're experiencing, very finite. Data is not. You could launch several big initiatives. You could start hoarding a bunch of data. You could hire a chief digital or a chief data officer. Not, these are not bad ideas necessarily, but it's not necessarily what we see being the most successful. So I want to drill down into four areas, and I want to start by talking about culture. So we say facts, not feelings. 
We want people to have that freedom to act and that elimination of fiefdom so you can truly enable people to use that data. You see, when we talk to CXOs, one of the things that we find is they say that 79% of the challenges around the adoption of data are cultural. I participated in a study with Tom Davenport, and this is a result from that study. Tom is an established publisher within the space on chief data officers. And one of the things that this study identified was that creating that data-driven culture remains the number one priority for chief data officers. On one hand, maybe not so surprising. Um, I think we all experience this a lot in our day-to-day -day lives, but it's important to know the challenge that we're up against. So for us, we break this down into building culture into four E's. The first E is to engage. And what we really mean is leaders within your company, you need to engage and show your commitment to data. Insist on using the new data and stop relying on the old data. How many of you guys, I did this. And those old data reports that I didn't quite want to get rid of yet, that I still leveraged. Well, you're voting with your feet. You're showing your team how much confidence you have in this new platform. I worked with the chief data officer at Bridgetone Tire, and one of the things that they did was they branded all of the new data initiatives. They created an internal naming structure, and every single new piece of data that came out, if it came from the centralized team, was stamped. And so it was basically a way of saying it was the good housekeeping seal of approval on the data. But it was also the way of saying, which data are you using? Are you using the new data? Or are you using the old data? And the idea was, well, use the new data, or what are we doing? Get rid of it. The next one that we see is enable. Now, this is a pet peeve of mine. I work with a lot of organizations that say, we're going to democratize using data. I say to that, I don't care if you democratize the data. In fact, I almost prefer that you don't democratize the data unless you're also prepared to democratize people taking action based upon the data. If you just democratize the data and make it available for everyone, people are going to know what the problems are. You're not going to let them do anything about it. That customer service rep has no authority to make that command call on the phone to help satisfy that customer. They know exactly what the problem is. They know it's the 12th time the customer's called to complain about it, not allowed to do anything. You need to look at your culture of your organization and make sure that you're enabling your people, allowing them to act upon that knowledge of that data. Otherwise, I kid you not, you could be doing more harm than good and spending a lot of money to do it. Make sure you are enabling your organization. Educate. I wish I did this more faster, earlier, when I was chief information officer. We got to a point after a while with educating, not only within the cloud initiative, but broadly within the data initiative, that I started turning in headcount to HR. Ah, come on, I had like 100 open you know, cloud software engineer racks. Couldn't hire the first one. What made you think I could hire the 100th? So I was like, here, take them all back. Give me the money in training. And so we did that. And the faster that I trained, it took my team off and expanded not only the growth within my team, but we broadly trained the entire company on how to appreciate and utilize data. I wish I had done it more. I wish I had done it earlier. I wish I had done it faster. Spend time educating your people. And then the last one is eliminate. 
move from thinking of data as a departmental asset to more of an organizational asset. Now, easier said than done. But one of the things that I've seen play out time and time again on this is it comes down to trust. Now, there is a little bit of knowledge is power, and people think if I keep my data, my knowledge, that'll keep me in power. So you gotta be careful of that. But the biggest thing was people just were worried. I spent forever building this data, gathering, curating this data, and I worried that people are gonna misunderstand it, they're gonna misuse it. Well then help, educate them, train them, build that marketplace that allows them to consume that data in a standardized way that can cut that down, but go after that and eliminate those capabilities. Now while we're talking about these things, I'll talk briefly about one of the things that makes Amazon unique. You may have heard, and I'm not gonna take you through it, but Amazon, we have a peculiar way of writing. We like writing these PRFAQs, but that's not the important part. What's the important part of this that's relevant for data is, we insist that there's no weasel words. Basically, please feel free to write this thing without any adjectives and adverbs, right? You can't say it's greater, it's higher, it's significant, it's nearly, it's faster. We want data. Don't tell me we made more money this quarter than last quarter. Well, how much more? And how does that compare to the previous quarter? Insist, and so we do this at Amazon, we insist on having the data. We don't let people get away with these platitudes, with these weasel words. Now this has a consequence, because like most things in life, everything in moderation. If you insist everyone always give you data in order to operate, you can constrain the organization. So one of the things that we also talk to customers about is our, our belief in a one-way door or a two-way door. What we mean quite simply by that is, well, a one-way door, you go out it, can't come back. You better be right when you're doing it. Two-way doors, you can go out, you can come back. You learned something, you tried something, didn't work. I'm gonna try it again. I'll go back, the consequences are low. For those, we say, maybe you don't need all the data. So index hard on the one-way door decisions and insist on the data. On the two-way door decisions, data's helpful, but maybe don't insist upon it. So like anything, life lives in moderation. The next one is we'll talk briefly about organization. And as we talk about organization, we tell people to organize for agility, not control. This one was a hard one for me as CIO. I worked in a highly regulated space with cancer patients. I was like, oh my gosh, you want me to give up control of this thing? I'm the guy who's sitting in front of the FDA signing the paperwork that attests that everything's all right. And my auditors had badges and guns, right? Okay, FDA is federal police officers, right? So you wanna talk about an audit, all right. And you want me to give up control? <laughs> okay. No, it's actually a really good thing in order to do this. But what's important to know is traditionally, historically speaking, what got you to where you are in many cases today we see not getting you to the future. What I mean by that is organizations that are organized in a more traditional manner by skills. Database engineers over here, storage engineers over here, software engineers over here, product management office over here. Instead, we see them being more successful when they're organized around outcomes. Again, you've probably heard of the Amazon love of two pizza team type of models. Those two pizza team models are teams that could be fed by, well, 
two pizzas. I got a whole bunch of Americans in the audience. I always got to remind my colleagues, American pizzas. I talk about this in Europe, and they're like, so two-person teams? I'm like, no, come on. <laughs> American pizzas, come on. 10, 12 people, something in that neighborhood. That's organized around outcomes. Remember outcomes. Outcomes the goal, what we're driving to be able to get. They're autonomous. They're empowered. They're accountable. Again, remember that empowered thing that I was talking about, right? We just didn't give them the data, but we gave them the authority to act upon it with accountability. You know, we talk about autonomy in this. Autonomy does not mean anarchy. Find me later. We could talk about this for hours. I'll explain more on how we manage that transition and that prevention of getting to anarchy. But we also talk about how to organize and we direct a lot of people to leverage the type of model that we have with the AWS data exchange. And that is by building a marketplace. Spent a lot of time with customers talking about should you centralize your teams or decentralize your teams? Now, the cop-out answer is yes. What we really mean is you should decentralize the producers. Allow people who are generating the data to be distributed throughout your organization because they're the experts. They're the ones who are creating the data within their day-to-day -day existence. They're the ones who understand the lineage, the metadata behind it. Allow them to do that. But have a centralized team that's building that common marketplace for where all that data goes and the limited standards in which they need to achieve in order to put things within there. That centralized team, smaller than you think it is. How big? It depends on your company. All I can tell you is, probably whatever you're thinking, it should be smaller. You don't get bonus points for building a 100-person team here to build your marketplace. Small, lean. The values created out on the edge when we have the consumers of that data are being the people, again, distributed within your lines of business out there where they're consuming and applying the data on a day-to-day -day basis. So again, you know, we're trying to enable out to the edge with this. The next one is mechanisms. And I'll share with you here a little bit. You know, we say, make sure you measure the right thing, not everything. We've probably heard the old adage, not everything that matters can be measured, not everything you measure can matter, it matters. Yeah, but still make sure to measure the right things in this. There's a fable that goes on, you know, if you can imagine where a company that was trying to measure the productivity of the organization by the number of nails that they made. And so you can imagine they set out and did what you think they would do. It's like any good sales team. Tell them what the incentive comp is. That's the only thing they'll go to. That's what we want them to do. Did you want them to build a whole bunch of nails? So the over-index on this is to go, okay, well, you built lots of really tiny nails, so now we're going to measure, you know, the size. We want bigger nails. Big nail. Okay, well, the point is, make sure you're very careful and deliberate about what you are measuring within your organization. We rethink measurements here in this new defined data-driven organization. We go from those absolutes to more relatives. You know, we, instead of talking about investments and, you know, big, uh, you know, MPV calculations on things, we're talking about price per unit, burn rates, velocity in these things. Rethink the measurement index that you're giving. Also, be prepared to reevaluate your measurements frequently. Now, yes, I worked for a publicly traded organization. 
We'd have our corporate stated goals for the year, for the quarter, et cetera. And no one was looking for us to quickly revisit those often. But how many times have you pursued a metric when you knew either you were going to exceed it or it was the wrong one, but you stuck with it for the year because that's what you committed to? Be prepared to reevaluate your measurements in this type of model as you have a dynamic organization that will evolve over 365 days within your corporate year. Don't become too beholden to it. Another one that we talk about is govern to enable, not to restrict. Now again, going back to my role as CIO, I think I started out by governing to restrict a lot. Here are the rules, you can only do these things. These people are the only ones that can use these data sets. Data sets have to be used in these very specific types of ways. Sounds like a good idea. You also kill innovation. What I mean by governing to enable is, go back to that marketplace. Make it easy for them to download the data sets that's organized the way you want it to be organized, that has the information that you want it to have. Make it easier for them to do the right thing, and they will do it and not realize that they're being governed at the same time versus you know, restricting them and trying to keep them within the parameters and the framework that you have. Oops, sorry, I jumped ahead. Back, back, there we go. So one of the things that we talk about to do this is to establish a couple of different things. One, establish your tenets for your policies and procedures. What do you believe in? Do you believe in democratizing your data and making it available for everyone? Well, if you do, that'll have different policies and procedures than if you don't. Establish that list. How big's the list? I don't know, 10 things. It's probably not two. It's definitely not 38 things. It's 10, nine, seven, 12, something. What do you value? Create, centralize that implementation into that marketplace. Decentralize the decisions. Focus on good metadata, good metadata. Automate your bureaucracy. A data asset is not successfully deployed until it is completely automated on how it is acquired, adjusted if you go through any ETL, if you just plop it within the data lake, needs to be fully automated. Otherwise, it's not done. Same philosophy that we apply to the cloud. And without saying, but I'm gonna say it again, yes, encrypt everything. Encrypt, 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 encrypt. As we talk about execution then, start with the business backwards, not data forward. I still spend time with lots of organizations that say, the first thing that we're doing is gathering all of the data. We're gonna gather all the data within the company. We're gonna clean it up. We're gonna make sure it's all good. Then we're gonna figure out what we can do with it. Please don't do that. It will take forever, and it probably includes the severance of one CIO, okay, in, in the initiative to get it done. Instead, what we have the ability with data lakes, with modern cloud architecture, with modern databases, is to be able to identify that business need and to then identify and go backwards from there just the data that is needed to satisfy that capability. You know, so identify that impactful business opportunity Create that um, hypothesis. Enlist those educated stakeholders within this and use the cloud to um, bring that relevant data forward and take action on delivering those things. We also talk then about think big but execute small. You know, same thing. You know, yes, you might have this broad vision, but go after that specific problem. Likewise, 
don't build a data lake to nowhere. You don't get bonus points for building the world's largest data lake. I was just working with a company that was talking to me how proud they were by the volume of things in their data lake. I work for AWS, thank you for building a big data lake, we'll bill you appropriately. Guys, it's not the right way to do it. Again, no bonus points for the world's largest data lake. Builds the world's smallest data lake that solves every business problem you have. Okay, focus on working backwards from that business value to be able to get these things. So these were the guiding principles that we talked about today. Um, you know, across culture, across organization, um, mechanisms and execution. I want to shift here a little bit and also talk a little bit about building a smarter organization powered by machine learning. So as we talk about this, we look at this across a couple different indices. You know, the first one is, what is that mindset change that organizations need to have in order to be successful? Then, what is the skill set? And lastly, and least important, ironically, what's that tool set that enables you to be able to deliver and achieve those. So as we talk about this, focus on what is your mission statement as an organization. This is an actual mission statement from a customer I worked with. I won't name names. But their mission statement was to build an AI-enabled, ML-powered, data-centric organization that embraces customer centricity through global business synergies. I have no idea what it sounds great. It's probably up in the break room somewhere. The point in having a good one is, this is how we prevent autonomy bleeding into anarchy. Are you in pursuit of the goal? Were you, were you trying to do the right thing and achieving our mission statement? In which case, yeah, I got your back, dear employee. But that mission statement then needs to actually mean something. You know, it can't be word salad or whatever this is. The other thing that we see I was working with a large shipping manufacturer in Korea, and he said that he gave his executives a goal in their personal goal development for next year, that each one of them needed to have an ML initiative for the year. I said, please don't do that. The answer should be that maybe each time they consider a business problem that you require them to evaluate, could machine learning help? So that might be a good one, because you want it to be front in mind to make sure that they're thinking in that advanced way. But the answer should be, you should only do it if machine learning actually helps solve the business problem. Don't fall in love with the shiny object. You know, make sure that you remain focused on that value and that outcome. The other one is we talk about this as helping answer the question, what's in it for me? You know, we look at this a lot in customers and you know, society, and we get into a lot of questions around ethical AI. Make sure that you have investments within ethical AI within your organization so you can answer the questions not only to your customers, but to society in general on when and how you're using it and how you made certain decisions. Why did you approve someone's mortgage and didn't approve someone else's? You better have an answer. We also need to realize, in all likelihood, you're bringing unconscious bias into your AI and ML models, even with the best of intentions. We're bringing that historical data that we've had over time that we're using to train the outcomes on machine learning. 
And odds are there's some bias within that. So work to eliminate the bias. Realize your model is never done and that your model will need to evolve so that it's fair, it's explainable, it's secure within this. Invest in that time and that capability to do so. The next thing I want to talk about here is skill set. You know, as a leader, it's important that you are able to explain to the organization, you know, where it is going and how AI and ML will play an effective role. And part of that is because of the employees. We read all the articles. All these jobs are going to be eliminated and replaced by AI and ML. The answer to that is some are. The hope is that we freed those people up to go do other higher value services that we've now enabled the computer to be able to do. But you better be able to explain it to the employee on where you're going. Otherwise, you'll get something that we call the frozen middle. You, the leaders, are all bought in. You're the top. You're not frozen. Put me in, coach, we'll go. Your new employees you just hired, eh, they're along for the ride. They're not married to anything. Happy to have a job, willing to learn probably excited to get a play with AI ML. Your people have been there five, seven, 10, 12, 20 years, they're freaked out. They're also the people that are gonna help you build a better AI ML model because they understand when a customer's gonna churn. Why? I don't know. They've just done it so many times, they can be on the phone with that customer for three seconds and go, uh-oh. You need them, but you need to explain to them not just how it's good for your company, but how it is good for them as individuals going forward within this. So they are not frozen. We all have mortgages and rents and kids to send to college. Make sure you invest the time with this so they understand what's in it for them. I don't have a lot of slides about AWS on my deck, but this is one. Leverage SageMaker to be able to do these things. Start at the top of the stack with the most basic AI services where we have predefined, codified things that can help you do um, speech recognition, image recognition, chatbots, um, you know, um, recommendation types of capabilities. Leverage the middle layer for the machine learning services. And if you want to get all the way down into the weeds, go for it. Leverage all the ML frameworks and infrastructure, TensorFlow, PyTorch, that type of thing, to be able to do these things. So how do you get started with AI ML? Some of you guys might already be. So I'd love to hear further as we talk later, maybe about how you did it. But a few things for us stand out. Remember, be clear on the why. Why are you using machine learning? It should be to create business value. And you believe machine learning is the best and easiest way to do that. The second thing is get alignment from your stakeholders. Make sure those employees understand what's in it for them. Bring them together, that cross-functional team. This is not something done just by the data scientists. This is something done by the data scientists, the software engineers, the business stakeholders, all of the people. Get alignment from them. I was happy to partner with a great team here with inside of AWS that built this tool, um, this uh, AI Explorer tool. That is a tool that you can go leverage and we'll share these slides later. You can scan the QR code now if you want. But it's a series of case studies of what a variety, hundreds of customers within AWS have done within AI and what the business outcome was that they achieved. Now, remember, this is risky because now is when we get in love with the shiny object and we go, oh, that company did it. I want to do it too. 
So I want to, you know, have you guys look at it to, you know, help show you what's possible, maybe expand the thought, but fall back to the, remember the why you're doing things on this as well, and not just to fall in love with the example. And as we talked about before within the data one, start small, but think big. One of the things that I like to tell people when they start an AI initiative, and this is true with data as well, write down the problem statement you're trying to solve without punctuation. Okay, now my fourth grade English teacher would have yelled at me for writing a run-on sentence in this occasion. But what I really mean is, if you can't describe the problem you're solving when you're starting out in one sentence, you probably pick something to start with that's too hard. It's too complicated, it has too many caveats, too many clauses, too many you know, explanatory types of conditions. Find something that is explainable within that one sentence description. Solve that problem, get the data that's needed for that problem, declare victory, take the team bowling, and go on to the next problem. Okay, so as we talked about this, define that problem, assemble the team, develop the hypothesis, find the data, just the data you need, train the model, test, lather, rinse, repeat. So here we are. Appreciate the time here today. There's a variety of information up here. Um, we publish a lot of material like this on the Executive Connections website on AWS. Um, we have a blog, because of course we do. Um, we also have a podcast um, that we have. My contact information um, is up here as well. We're a unique team within AWS in the sense that we're a non-billable resource. How many times do you hear that? Okay. Um, we're happy to come spend time with your team, answer questions, review your strategy, provide input on it, share more of this information on a variety of topics. Data and AI is just one of the many topics. We spend a lot of time talking about how to build teams, how to build those cultures. And we do all of that as a free service. I'm not going to sell you a big giant pro-serve engagement or anything. No, just drop me a note and say, hey, Tom, I have a question. We're here to help. With that, guys, I'm going to turn it back over. Appreciate the time here today. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to the AWS for Software Companies podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow this podcast in your podcast app and share these episodes across social media. Thanks again for listening.